Today's scripture reading is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. This is the word of the Lord. So if you've been present with us in prior weeks, you know this month we're working through a sermon series exploring something called the one another's of the New Testament. These are passages in scripture that talk about and emphasize how we are to live in relationship uh, to one another as Christians. We care for one another. We bear one another's burdens. We pray for one another. We serve one another. We submit to one another. These one another's teach us the central role Christian, Christian community plays in the life of a Christian. You and Jesus, you are not sufficient. You and your family and Jesus are not sufficient either. While the one another's certainly apply to your immediate family, they are not limited to that context. That's not the primary context the one another's have in mind. These passages, they're drawing us to reflect on how we interact with brothers and sisters in Christ. So as we begin this morning, I want to ask you about the relationships you have with those in the church, with those you are closest to. What serves as the foundation for those relationships? Is it some sort of similarity, like where you live, or what stage of life you're in, whether you're single or whether you're married? whether you have kids or don't have kids, what books you like to read or whether you like to read or not, the the type of work you do, the, the shows you tend to watch, does that serve as the foundation of the relationships you're closest to or is it something else? You know, in broader culture, our closest relationships are often rooted in what we might call commonalities things we like or similar experiences. I mean, when we were a kid, we liked someone, we were connected to someone because we played the same games. We had the same hobbies. We played with identical toys. I don't know what those things were for you as a kid. Maybe soccer. Um, Maybe playing with Barbies. Maybe trading Pokemon cards. Playing Just Dance on the Wii or Minecraft. For me, for me, it was things like playing Tecmo Bowl or, or watching, watching pro wrestling or, or going bowling. These are things you did not know about me. I know, I know a couple weeks ago, Pastor Chris said baseball was the ultimate team sport and he, he mentioned other sports. He mentioned other sports like football and basketball and soccer, but I'm pretty sure he didn't include bowling in his list of contenders because he never went to a bowling tournament. 
Hey, if I've offended any of you who bowl, hey, let me just say, it is a fun thing to do, but it is not the ultimate team sport. As we age, our community, the, the people we are drawn to, the conversations we tend to have with others, they continue in, in lots of ways to be rooted in commonalities. Watching the same shows, common interests in similar sports or activities, people who have the same jobs, whether they are single or married, you know, whether they don't have kids, we tend to want to connect with people who like the same things or involved in the same activities. Christian community is different. The foundation of relationships in the church, while what we like certainly plays a role, those things do not serve as the foundation. When it does, Christian community becomes something different than it was intended to be. It's not all that compelling. It is not rooted in Christ. It tends to break down when it should persist. See, the foundation of Christian community is not rooted in likes. It's rooted in love. This morning, we are reflecting on how we are to love one another. That, that's the one another we're reflecting on. And to that, end, to that end, our big idea will be a Christian community is built on a foundation of love, not likes. If you have a Bible or Bible app on your phone, go ahead and open it up to, to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, the passage that was read earlier. In that section of scripture, we're going to see the Apostle John is writing about a burden he has for the people of God, for them to love one another. Love is foundational for us to build, and it's foundational for us to receive as we engage in Christian community. And so as we explore that foundation, we're going to examine three things in this passage. The stipulation to love. When John says we are to love one another, what does he have in mind? What, what, what does he mean when he refers to love? The source of love, and what gives Christians the mindset or the heart or the motivation to love other Christians? And three, the, the shape of love. What is the model or the standard for how we are to relate to one another? What does it look like? How is it expressed? So let's start with the, the stipulation to love. The, the Apostle John is instructing Christians to live a particular kind of way. Dear friends, let us love one another. Many of you know when you encounter that word love in your Bible, it can be referring to any number of Greek words because the Greek language is oftentimes more descriptive than English. There are more words to express concepts or capture emotion. So when you see that word love in your Bible, it could be referring to a brotherly love or romantic desire. The Greek word being used here is, let me, let me see if I can say this right. <laughs> I'm gonna, it's, a, it's like agapao, something, something like that. It, so it's, it's a verb, okay? It means to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of others. It's a, it's a word that is very much connected to action that doesn't benefit self, doesn't have self in mind, but benefits others. It has others in mind. The action of love benefiting others, not benefiting self, that's something that's very common to, to the Apostle John and how he writes. It's in his gospel. 
For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So he's using that same word here to describe how God loves sinners. Love is connected to action. It's connected to sending, to sacrifice, and to surrender. The love is rooted in him laying down his life, in being focused on others rather than focused on self. Okay, another passage in John's gospel. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So John is describing how Jesus related to his disciples when he ate with them just prior to being betrayed, beaten, and crucified on a cross. Even at such a difficult moment, his action to love, it didn't stop. When facing impending suffering and sorrow, he was focused on others. Rather than Jesus being focused on what he was about to experience, he washes the feet of his disciples, even one who he knows will abandon him. He breaks bread. He pours out the wine. He serves them this meal, even one who is about to betray him. The love John is describing is expressed in action. It is not a warm feeling of fondness disconnected from action. It pursues. It leads to sacrifice, to surrender. This love that John is referring to, it is about giving, not getting. So so John uses this word, agapao, over 30 times in his gospel and nearly 30 times in the five chapters found in the letter we're exploring today, this letter of 1 John. John is clearly caught up in this word, recognizing it is critical for how God relates to sinners and how Christians are to relate to one another. Love for John, it is very much about giving and sacrifice and sending. It is not a romantic feeling, nor Is it a general Nebraska niceness? Taking time to be polite and pleasant with one another. Instead, it's an active pursuit. Leaving what is comfortable to be present and persist with others. When John tells us to love one another, he is not simply telling us to have warm feelings. Now, there is a question some of you might have. Why, why would John find it necessary to instruct Christians to love other Christians? I mean, aren't Christians supposed to love everyone? Yes. But, but perhaps, perhaps it is easier to love people that you don't know all that well. The, the deeper you dive into community, the more you get to know people, the more you realize they are not like you. And the deeper you dive into community, the greater opportunity you have for conflict. The greater opportunity you have for others to let you down, to disappoint you. When those people aren't your immediate family, when when they frustrate you and get on your nerves, perhaps loving these people is harder. 
being focused on giving rather than getting, when you don't like someone, when they don't give you what you want, when they don't affirm you or accept you, that's hard. I mean, if you're anything like me, I struggle to like people when they, when they let me down, when they disappoint me. But a Christian community is built on a foundation of love, not what we like. So in stipulating Christians are to love one another, John is drawing attention off of self and on to others when relationships get hard. He is pushing against withdrawing when you don't feel connected or when others don't pursue you or isolating yourself when you experience conflict with others or to love others only when you get to know them and you find that you no longer like them. For the Apostle John, when he is stipulating Christians are to love one another, again, he's not talking about warm feelings of affection that we have towards one another because of how others act towards us. We pursue one another when it is difficult to pursue. We forgive one another when it is difficult to forgive. We have feelings of fondness and affection when we are frustrated and frazzled with one another. And so the the source of that love If it's not rooted in the action of others, it's rooted in something else. So let's explore the source of love. Some of you might have have a question. If this word, agapao, how we are to relate to one another, includes being fond of one another, what makes us fond of one another? Certainly, certainly has to do with how someone else acts when they accept and affirm us, when they encourage us in what, the, what we believe to be our calling, when we don't experience conflict. John has something very different in mind. We are not fond of others because of what they do. It's rooted in something else. Let me read verses 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Okay, so to, to better understand what a, what a passage means, it's sometimes helpful for me, and I, I think for many of us, to change or modify what something is saying. So, so let's modify this text a little bit to notice what it is not saying. Okay, love others, love one another, because others like what you like. Because others have similar interests. Love one another when others affirm you and accept you and let you serve the way you want to serve. Love one another because others don't let you down. Because you have a relationship free of conflict or free of disappointment. Love one another when you feel like loving one another. Because you feel loved, because you feel all warm inside, because your love bucket is full. John is not rooting loving one another, how we relate to one another, in what you or I experience in Christian community, but who you and I are in Christ. This confronts the ways people tend to relate to to others apart from Christ. Loving one another, being in community with one another, rather than being 
directed towards giving. It is more directed towards something called self-fulfillment. Am I happy? Does this community meet my needs? Is there something in this community that fills my love bucket? Rather than giving, we focus on getting. To help explain what I, what I mean, let's talk about marriage for a moment. Those of you who are single, stick with me. I think we can all see these questions. Am I happy? Does this person meet my needs? They often become critical to how two people persist in marriage. People need to be married to someone who is just right for them, who completes them, who makes them feel good. That's, that's what drives, that's what's the, the source of people persisting in marriage in many cases. Author Tim Keller explains how destructive this is in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, and he quotes a man named Stanley Howarass, a Duke University ethics professor. Destructive in marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal happiness, necessary for us to become whole and happy. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry and that if we look closely enough, we will find the right person. This moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect of marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. Now, I know, I know he's talking about marital relationships and relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ is different, but, but his, his principal concern here uh, applies to Christian community. Preserving relationships in Christian community is not about personal fulfillment or finding what's comfortable for me because even if you really like the people you first connect with, in a church or in a, in a gospel community, in the same way that married people eventually find they married the wrong person, you're going to eventually find that you're in the community with the wrong people. They will let you down. You will experience conflict with them. They, they, will, they will change what they like. You will change what you like, and you will no longer connect over similarities that potentially draw, drew you together in the beginning. People sin. They have quirks. Those are going to be things you won't like. And this, this is where it's important to understand what John is saying. Christian community is not rooted in self-fulfillment or cultural commonalities. It's rooted in one commonality, who we are in Christ. The reason we love one another is because of who God is and what he has done for us, because of what we have experienced with him. As John is instructing us to love one another, he is holding up this reality of who we are in Christ. We know how much we are loved. We know how much he has surrendered for us. The reason we love one another has nothing to do with how others make us feel. It has nothing to do with the actions of others. We love because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
In his classic book on Christian community, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes how a Christian community must be centered on Christ. Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. This is true not merely at the beginning, as though in the course of time something else were to be added to our community. It remains so for all the future and to all eternity. I have community with others, and I shall continue to have it only through Jesus Christ. It's not about likes. The more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. What we like, it is not what binds us together. Nor the the self-fulfillment. We can be prone to be fond of others when we are self-fulfilled. But apart from Christ, apart from Christ, that is what serves as the source of love. John is describing something different. The love of Christ. Him laying down his life. It is what unites us. So much of the time, we root our connection with others, how we feel about others in their actions and behaviors. We want that to be the foundation of our relationships. Drawing, John is drawing disciples not to look externally, but to consider who they are internally. If they are Christians, if they know the love of Christ, externals will carry little weight. As Bonhoeffer says, the more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more everything else between us, it recedes. What we have experienced internally, that's what matters. If the primary way you relate to others is likes, or in others liking you, or affirming you a particular way, it will not lead to love. It will lead to jealousy, or entitlement, or pulling away and disconnecting. Because when the community doesn't function a particular way, or fulfill you a particular way, it's time for you to go find another community. People who approach community with what he or she has to do. I have to lead a gospel community. I have to be recognized as a leader. I have to be an elder. I have to serve on the worship team. Or people who approach community leading with the type of people they need to be in community with. People who are are, are like me. People who are in the same stage of life. Who raise their kids in a similar manner. They will struggle to understand and how to live out what John is instructing Christians here and how they are to relate to one another. Now I'll say that this longing people have for self-fulfillment, that there is something about it. I'm not, I'm not saying in and of itself it is all bad, but it is misdirected. This longing to be loved, this longing to be affirmed, you longing to be accepted, it will never be completely filled by relationships you experience on this earth. What you're longing for, it can only be filled by Christ. 
When you are captivated by the love of Christ, you understand and live out how John is burdened for Christians to relate to one another. For you, pursuing Christian community is much more about death. Dying to personal desires. Leaving behind the importance of what we like. Because when your relationship with others is rooted in Christ and what he has done for you, you will be humbled. You love others and pursue others not because of what they do, not because of what they give you, not because of what they like, not because they won't let you down, but because of what Christ has done for you and what Christ has done for them. Your hearts have been captured by a Savior who loves people who don't love him or who don't accept him. That is what your life is built on, that kind of love. So let's talk about Christ and what it means to image him as we relate to one another. Let's explore the shape of love that John holds up in verses 9 through 11. This love that captivates us, that we experience and express to one another. What is, it, what is it like? God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. So, so this shape of love that John is holding up, the model of love that has been established, the, the standard of what we are pursuing and how we relate to one another was established by God with something called the incarnation. Jesus being sent out from his home to save us from our sins. In the incarnation, we see how God surrendered what he loved. In Christ, we see someone who sacrificed self rather than sought to fulfill self. That, that's the shape of love that John has in mind. As John refers to how God loves sinners, how he surrenders himself for sinners, we might say he's referencing something called the inclusivity of the cross or inclusivity of Christ. I know that word inclusivity, it can be toxic for some because it is such a buzz word culturally. Everyone should be included regardless of race or cultural background or socioeconomic status or sexual preference or gender or preferred gender. I don't want to wade too far into those waters. Every community, every community will exclude others to some degree. But, but I do want to ask this whole idea of inclusivity, that people are not valued based on background or how someone performs, where does it come from? This was not common in ancient Roman culture or Greek culture or Assyrian culture. People were oftentimes excluded because of socioeconomic status. They were, they were executed because they were of a different race or a different cultural background. Where does this idea that people should be included, not rooted, not, not rooted in commonalities, come from? It comes from Christianity. John is referencing it here. The Apostle Paul is Referencing it in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, when he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, 
talking about all types of sinners. A testimony at the proper time. In Jesus, we encounter a man who was willingly crucified, hung on a cross, loving people from all sorts of different backgrounds who didn't love him, who were not like him. He forgave people who betrayed and beat him. He sacrificed and surrendered himself for people who opposed him. Jesus, rather than reject or withdraw from such people, he took on their sin. He took on their sorrow. He took on their punishment. Jesus sacrificed his life and went down to death so that sinners like you and I, regardless of race or gender or socioeconomic status or cultural background or the types of sins we struggle with would not experience everlasting death. Love led Jesus to sacrifice himself for all types of sinners. When Christianity began to grow in the early centuries following the death and resurrection of Christ, one of the things that marked it was how inclusive it was how diverse it was. It was a community built on a foundation of love rather than likes. People who did not have all that much in common with one another, they loved one another. It was a community of men and women, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, married people and single people, people who struggled with sins of pride and arrogance, greed and gluttony, sexual sin, and people who struggled with self-righteousness. That, that diversity was actually offensive to the Romans and to the Greeks, people who claimed to be inclusive. How Christians loved people in community who were different was perplexing and compelling. How you and I love one another, those who are different, who do not affirm us or encourage us or, or who like the things we like, who let us down, it will be perplexing and it will be compelling too. As I think of this congregation, I'm so thankful for how people love one another in spite of differences, in spite of relational letdowns. This kind of relating to one another, it's pretty remarkable. My wife is someone who certainly demonstrates this towards me. Many of you do as well. Thank you so much. This kind of relating to one another, it really doesn't happen in a year or usually even over several years. It oftentimes takes decades to demonstrate. So some of you know that Renee White and I have had the blessing of being in community with one another for over two decades. That extends beyond the time of planting for city. It extends beyond her and Jake's time at the church that planted for city church, Coramdale. While Renee and I are, are similar in some ways, we are different in many others. I mean, she's from a big city. I grew up across the street from a cornfield. She likes to have lots of intellectual conversations. I like, I like some, but I like to withdraw and think about nothing sometimes. Renee is a woman. I'm a man. If you were to peek into a staff meeting, you would see her and I that we're not afraid to disagree, sometimes to the point that it stresses other members of our, our staff team, Eric or Andy. 
What, what many of you don't know, and some of you do, Renee and I were part of a church when we first met one another. I signed on to be part of a leadership culture that hurt lots of people, and her included. I let her down. She has reasons to not trust me. She has reasons to pull away from someone like me, and yet she doesn't. She loves. She pushes in. She pursues. That is what love does. I know many of us want to experience community in a comfortable manner that is free of disappointment and conflict where we get the things we want, but that's not the heart of a compelling Christian community. Listen to Bonhoeffer again. Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and we, if we are fortunate with ourselves, only that fellowship which faces such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to us. The sooner this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. Bonhoeffer wants us to be disappointed as we experience community because only when we encounter differences and disappointment and disillusionment do we become a community that is not based on likes or self-fulfillment, but a community with a foundation of love where we lay down our lives for one another. Only then do we demonstrate how Christ is the one commonality in our community that matters more than anything else in this world. So as we conclude, I, I, got, a, I got a few questions for you. Do you know this love? You will not demonstrate this love to others if you don't know it. I, I know a, a common objective, uh, objection to Christianity is the way that Christians live. They do not love one another with the love of Christ. When they hurt one another, they withdraw and isolate. They use the church or they use prayer to justify what fulfills self. They love others who are just like them rather than those who are different from them. I'm sympathetic to this objection. Christians should love one another the way Christ loves sinners, and we often don't. That's John's burden here. Because of indwelling sin, because we need to grow, Christians do not love one another as they should. If you don't trust in Christ, if you're looking for a community that will love one another perfectly, let me tell you, you will not find it. It doesn't exist. If you are looking for a community rooted in a Savior who loves you the way you long to be loved, look to Christ. Surrender to him. Second question I want to ask, how are, how are we forming our kids into this? I know this is a burden some, somewhat directed towards parents, but the responsibility of how we raise our kids extends far beyond them. In today's culture, rooted in self-fulfillment and personal happiness, when a kid goes to some sort of activity, we like to ask questions like, hey, did you have fun? Did, did you have friends that you were able to connect to? Do, 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 if there's something coming up on the counter, do you want to go? We struggle 
to, to teach our kids that community is centered on the love of Christ rather than commonalities. As I converse with people about what, what gospel community to connect with, one of the most common considerations that parents communicate, hey, my, parent, my kids, they have to be in a gospel community with kids of a similar age. One of the things you're going to hear about next week dur during our service is a gospel community that Josh and Abigail Chavez are launching with their four beautiful young children. And one of the things you'll come to find is that there, there are no other kids that are part of this gospel community. That's a sacrifice for their kids. That, that's disappointing. But Josh and Abigail, they are discipling their kids into, other, into understanding loving others is not based on likes, but laying down one's life. How are we teaching our kids that a Christian community has a foundation of love, not likes? Lastly, for those of you that would say you know this love, how does the love of Christ shape the way you relate to others? As you consider how you relate to others in the church, what looms largest? Personal preferences, personal fulfillment, conflict or, or disagreement you experienced, dis disappointment over relational breakdown? Church, when you understand how Jesus is fond of others who don't like him, how he pursues those who reject him, how he does not exclude others. You can't either. You will love those who may not love you. You will lay down your life for others. As you understand the love of Christ, as you receive that love, a love that you are not worthy of, it transforms the way you will relate to others. When you are captivated by that love, a remarkable love, you pursue and push in not based on how others perform, but how God has loved you. Let us love one another this way because love is from God and everyone who loves God has been born of God and knows God. Let's pray.